0: Can you sail under the command of a pirate? Or can you not? You don't listen, to do you? I don't think you ever. Really? Hear me. the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. This nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these be self-evident that all men are created it stuck with me i kept
1: coming back to it just trying to figure out where in the world we've gone so wrong that it had ended up here
0: well i didn't think you had it in you i'm your huckleberry are you not are you not entertained why johnny ringo look like somebody just walked over your grave. If I not with you, Holiday. I beg to differ, sir. We started a game we never got to finish. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? What we've got here is failure to
1: communicate. Some man you
2: just can't reach. To give you some support. I don't think miss what you think
0: thinking, miss. You don't tell your pappy how to cut the me a We ain't one at a time in here. We're mass communication. Oh, yeah. Are you not at the time? Are you, you not at why you are here?
1: And hello once again. Welcome to the Pirate Podcast. Welcome aboard. And this is your captain speaking. I've been on kind of a marathon trying to record these things. Uh, this makes the fourth one in 24 hours, and honestly, this so um, tonight's going to be part two of something I started last night on the story. I got done with it, and if you if you listen to it, go. I I didn't quite get as deep into the weeds as I wanted to get, um, mostly because it was. Already late and I was tired. I had a long day, and uh, and then the more I thought about it, I was like, I need to, I need to keep going on that one. So tonight, I'm going to uh, revisit some of what we talked about and then go a little deeper on this. This one's one of those, and it's not necessarily connected. Well, it's connected to my visual storytelling class, but it's this one's going to be one of those it's good for everybody if you want to listen to it um cuz we're just simply talking about communication and i think and and more specifically we're going to be talking about i guess well hell i'm going to be talking about you're just going to listen and nod and whatever or shake your head and tell me i'm full of whatever um Got a text message just a second ago, right, like right before. Um, actually, it was a Facebook message, and it's from a friend of mine who um, sent me a screenshot of a. Um, I guess it was a. I guess a Facebook message. Maybe I don't know. We'll just. It was. It was a social media message. I don't know what platform it came from so for those it says public safety announcement clarksville arkansas will not be a safe environment on the 4th 5th and 6th and 7th i'm assuming of september 2020. it would be a best it would be a best to avoid this city if all possible this public safety announcement was brought to you by the arkansas minutemen 1776 And it goes on, if you want more information, Google, whatever. So I can only assume, and I haven't been digging very deep, um, but I can only assume um, this has something to do with uh, Black Lives Matter. So Clarksville is, oh, it's a, it's a, Fairly small town, about you know thirty minutes from where I teach, up the interstate, and you know I guess most of this, well, all of the surrounding area would be would qualify as rural. Um, But Clarksville's been kind of this sort of interesting town in that I don't want to call it progressive, but comparatively speaking. They seem to be proactive about things that other communities aren't proactive about. Like, case in point, in the past few years, they've installed enough so a solar array big enough to power all of the uh, city's electrical needs. As in, like the not like every house in the city, but all the things that are owned by the city. And there, you know, there's some other stuff like that they've done. Like that, they've got. For a small town, they, they seem to do some kind of interesting things. It's also got a small private college there. And I don't know, and it's just in a really pretty area. It's Clarksville is one of those places, just, I really, it's kind of this. It's just always kind of, I, it's just always been nice to me. I always like it over there. And so somebody, and I don't know who, because I'll be honest, I haven't researched it because. It's, I just haven't researched it, but somebody, they're going to have a Black Lives Matter um, rally or protest or however you want to phrase it. They're coming up and they they got permission from the city and they hung up a banner across the street downtown. It just says Black Lives Matter rally protest. something. I, I can't give it to you. You can probably look it up and find it. It's just a banner announcing this event. And these events have happened all over. Like, where the city where I teach, there's been several, you know, and then even where the boat is in Texas, you know, there's been several you know, there's marches and stuff, and there's been Trump rallies, and it's been, and largely these things have been peaceful, even though people admittedly show their asses at times. Not literally. Or just go along with it. Anyway, so... Um, so when they hung up this banner, it's like the the shit hit the fan. Like I and I just it, it, I didn't expect it coming out of that town. Like I'd been like, oh, it's kind of you know, there's enough you know hippie types in that town. That's probably just gonna be cool. And we will just going with life. And turns out like there's some pretty seriously rabid anger. Rabid, not rabbit. rabid sort of anger there. And I've been following like some of the just the social media posts and stuff that people you know are saying one way or the other and I'll be honest there's a lot of people out there that need to take a nap like they just need to like calm the F down for just a little bit and take a breath count to ten recollect themselves and and sort of slow down just slow down so if you didn't know right after I got out of college I uh, I can't remember if I've mentioned this or not so I'm just going to mention it again so I, I my first like adult job was I went into law enforcement and I was a police officer for five years and um Eventually ended up as the like the public information officer, but you know, for the time leading up to that point, I was a patrol officer like anybody else. And especially like on a Friday night in the summer. It's hot. Like undoubtedly like and you're working like the three to eleven shift, you know. Undoubtedly at some point during that evening, you're gonna get called to a domestic disturbance. And domestic disturbances are always the most dangerous kind of calls or one of the most dangerous kind of calls to go on just because you don't know what you're getting into. Because, you know, they're generally... These are disputes among family or friends. These are people who know each other. And things can turn ugly fast in those scenarios. Um, But most importantly, like... When you show up, people are, are are pretty heated, and this is one of the things. Let me just go ahead and talk about being a cop for just a little bit. Being a cop is hard. That's a hard job because there's so many unknowns, and you're always seeing people at their worst. Like everybody's happy to see a fireman. Oh my God, my house is on fire. This person's come to save me. Yay! You know. But I'll be damned if people are happy to see the police show up, because nothing's going right at that point. If they called you, they're already in a bad place. If you stop them, you know they're in a bad place. And I'm just i I'm, I'm setting aside like all the current controversy, you know, surrounding police right now. I'm, I'm not I'm not even gonna go there right now because some of that falls under the same kind of category of stuff we're gonna talk about tonight. But I can say the vast majority of the people that I worked with were really good people. Like they, they just wanted to do the job and do the job the best they can, and and go home and to be with their family at the end of the day. That that was their primary goal. And uh, but the thing about police and one of the big. Comparisons I I realized when I was doing that job because people couldn't figure out why I went, you know, went to journalism school and then I became a, a police officer. And it was like these two really aren't that different. You investigate things and you write reports. Beyond that, everything's just sort of details and kind of how you write things and what you do with that information. And, you know, obviously, one I carried a gun and one I don't. Though, actually, technically, I guess I could now. Um because of Arkansas law on firearms um but that being said, you roll up on a domestic disturbance and the thing to talk the, 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 the number one first thing you would do is if it you, you showed up and everybody's hot your job at that moment is to de-escalate de-escalate the situation, the tension, the, if people are yelling at each other, you get them separated and not separated as in you stand in between them and you push them back. You know, typically you'd show up with someone else. You're like, Hey, you take person A, why don't you just, you know, go inside and sit down and talk about it. And I'll take person B and we're going to stand out here and talk about it. And so the first thing we would do is just get these people apart from each other and get them and just, and then just start talking to them. Not, what you don't do is, is you, you don't walk in there and start yelling and screaming at people and you don't escalate that situation. When you escalate that situation, people get hurt. And so, and that, and part of those people may be you. So, you don't fuck around with that. Ever. Not if you're smart. Not if you have half a brain and you have an ounce of integrity about yourself. You do not escalate in those scenarios. And so that's what we did. And 99% of the time, everything ended up fine. Sometimes, not so much. You know, but you just deal with those, and that takes different kinds of training but you deal with what you take, but your, your goal is to get out of there with everybody still healthy and hopefully feeling a little bit better. And none of that had anything to do with how good I was with a gun. None of that had anything to do with how well I was at manhandling another human being. All of that had everything to do with words and narrative and how you use words to shape a situation, a scenario. And you bring peace with that. You bring resolution with that situation. We're in a weird ass time right now, folks. Um, And there's way too many people getting way too much entertainment poking that fire without actually realizing. Now they're poking a bear and not really paying attention to the possible casualties that could come out of that. One of the biggest problems with social media right now that people are largely... Ignorant of, and this is, and I don't mean ignorant, I mean ignorant in its true sense. They're, I'm not trying to use it as an, an insult, but people just don't understand what it is they're doing. People are more prone to troll someone else, to insult someone else, to try to pick a fight with someone else, largely because there's nothing anybody can do about it. In most cases, like you're, you know, if you pick a fight with a complete stranger on Twitter, that person, there's, there's no, there's no correspond, there's nothing that comes back on you. Not generally. I mean, it can, I guess people can pile on you, you know, or whatever, but largely you're not going to get your face punched. If you, you know, say something about a guy's mom, right. Or sister or brother or him One of the things that's going on right now is people are saying a lot of stuff and it's getting really heated and they're getting some really bad information. And you have others who are trying to profit off that. Either, you know, strategically for their own political gain or financial gain for clicks for whatever website they may be running or whatever is going on. And if they're not careful, they're going to get somebody killed. I'm sorry, they've already gotten people killed. They're going to get a lot more people killed, and a lot, a lot worse things can happen. And, you know, we've been in these places before. Go back, go back and pay attention to the 60s, you know, the Civil Rights Movement. Read the stuff that was said then. Compare it to what we have now. Try to figure out who's telling the truth and who's not in the truth when you have the when you have the um, appreciation of history. So we're gonna we're gonna dive deep tonight. It's gonna be one of these heavy ones, and we're gonna go for a while. But it's I promise we're, I'm not gonna sit here and preach at you because nobody really wants to be preached at. But I am gonna try to give you some education on back to the narrative and kind of how things work. But this is. This has real world consequence, and I kind of stick with me on this and try to take something home with you. All right, so I'm gonna go ahead and play a song, seems incredibly appropriate. I'm perfectly honest, especially for making a comparison of one day, one generation versus the next. Here we go. <laughs>
3: Battle line's being drawn Nobody's right if everybody's wrong Young people speaking their minds Are getting so much resistance from behind Every time we stop, hey, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going down strikes
0: deep
3: into your life it will creep it starts when you're always afraid step out of line the man come and take you away we better stop Hey, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going, we better stop. Hey, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going, we better stop. Now, what's that sound? Everybody look what's going, we better stop. Children, what's that
0: sound?
1: All right, so here we go. There is a lot that we do as a culture, as a society, as a planet that we get away with because we cooperate with each other because we all sort of understand our role and we stay in those bounds case in point and we can still be competitive within that world but we're we're all still kind of, um, well, we're still playing by the same rules. So, you know, I played football in high school. And, uh, you know, we had our guys. We would go around, you know, other teams and, and play them. Sometimes they would come to us. Sometimes we would go to them. Actually, we played Clarksville, now think about it. And... The thing that makes it work is everyone agrees to stick to those rules. We're under this sort of social contract of, like, what we're going to do. You know, and then you play the game. And at the end of the day, you know, one team wins, one team doesn't. But, you know, and sometimes there's hurt feelings and whatever, and sometimes it's, it's a little rough. But at the end of the day, everybody goes home. And you get ready for the you know the game next week, and we do that in a, in a million different little ways. Like the fact that we we get in our cars and our trucks every day and we drive down the highway, and we agree that we're gonna like I'm gonna follow the rules. Like I may not necessarily stick to the speed limit all the time, but if there's another car coming, I'm not gonna drive in the left lane. I'm, I'm probably not going to pass somebody You know, if I'm going around a blind curve Like, and part of the the reason I don't do th- some things And I guess a lot of people don't do certain things Is, you know, it's it's typically in our best interest not to Like, you can, you can get yourself killed, you know Not doing these things You know, but there's other stuff Um You go to school. You sit in a classroom. Professor or teacher talks. Or maybe you're the teacher. Who knows? You know, and there's this sort of general contract that, you know, you're going to sit there and listen. And maybe you're into it, maybe you're not. But, you know, you're not going to do anything crazy. Like, you're not just going to suddenly like start jumping up and down and screaming. And you're not going to bring your, you know... A stereo in there and start playing music it, it, typically I mean and, and if somebody does it's just intentionally to cause a disturbance and so as a result of all these things we get along we, we are able to kind of go about our lives largely in a way that's never been possible in the history of humankind um because we have this sort of superstructure underneath us that's supporting everything and making it work. And that's great as long as everybody decides to play by the rules. Now we can have all kinds of discussion on what a free person should be allowed to do versus, versus what you know they shouldn't do. There's arguments like your freedom ends, you know, you're you're free to swing your arm around all you want until you make contact with someone else's face. Right. So there seems to be a reasonable expectation that, you know, there's boundaries. People in neighborhoods do it all the time. You know, the idea of being a good neighbor. These things are culturally, you know, part of who we are. And most of that comes back down, if you really look at it, is, it's it's still narrative. It's still story. It's the story that we tell ourselves on how things should function. It's And, and that's kind of where I want to pick back up. Because what we're talking about at those moments is where normal lies for most of us. Um, so go back. To the last one where I was talking about Harry Potter. In the very beginning of any story, like the, one of the first jobs the author has to do is, you know, they establish this, the world in which the character lives and who this character is. And they establish what normal is for that character. You know, with Harry, it was the boy who lived under the stairs. His life wasn't good it was bad uh and then we but we find out you know something about his character as a result of that we find out he's fairly diminished he has desires and they're they're fairly significant desires um he wants he, you know he never got to know his parents he longs for his family a real family that that actually cares for him and then as we talked about the other day that, you know, then the letters start coming and then Haggard shows up and knocks normal off its feet. And in this particular case, you know, normal, the change offers an opportunity for something better. When that's, and that, that's the inciting incident comes along and introduces chaos into the protagonist's life. And that person has to make a choice. They have to make a decision of what they're going to do next. And when it's sort of this moment of improvement, then the choice, you know, it may be scary, but it's not necessarily... A, um, it's not really a bad thing. The problem is sometimes when normal gets knocked off its feet, it's it is a bad thing. Case in point, um, we're, we're what 19 years now. It's almost September 11th. Uh, I was still working for the, you know police department then. Normal got knocked off its feet for an entire nation. Um. Pearl Harbor another example normal got knocked off its feet and this was not a positive thing this was a negative thing and so there's always this moment where the protagonist has to make a decision on what to do next because we're always again narrative is always about how should I live my life what's the next right answer You know, what can I learn from story about help that will help me make a decision to make to regain some amount of order into the world? You know, and so we we go about that different ways and we do it differently. You know, and if if it's an individual, this thing is knocked off its feet. It's one thing. But when we collectively get knocked off our feet something else entirely and I would argue right now is one of those points um, just pick your poison on what what that inciting incident is and, and really it's they've just like Twitter piled on and we can argue the validity and who's to blame and all of this stuff and really that stuff doesn't matter at all the only thing that actually matters like the only thing that matters if you're falling off a cliff the thing that doesn't matter in that moment is who pushed you. The only thing that actually matters is you're following what are you going to do about it? Can you do anything about it? Do you have options? And that's kind of where we are now. And sometimes those decisions that we make are. In conflict so the, the things that we want to do in those particular moments are not necessarily we're not necessarily going to agree on it and sometimes actually that's a good thing uh, because sometimes we make stupid decisions because of the way that we view things sometimes we make stupid decisions because we are blind to kind of our own our own ignorance so let's let's just Jump in the weeds a little bit. Conservative versus liberal personalities. So, depending on who you ask, which one of those is a dirty word? Like, liberal, when someone says they're a, gets accused of being liberal in our modern world, that's typically meant in sort of a pejorative way. It's meant to be an insult. He's just a liberal. He's a libtard. He's a whatever. And if you throw just in front of something, you're you're diminishing it even more. It's just this. It's, It's something not of significance. I'm not really interested in the political terminology of it. I don't really care. When I say conservative versus liberal, I'm not really thinking of Democrat versus Republican. That's an argument and conversation for a different day. When I'm thinking of and when I say conservative versus liberal is more in, from a psychological perspective. There's a reason people migrate to certain political parties, because typically those political parties represent more of a psychological profile that people hold. And I'll get into that. And obviously, I'm not a licensed psychologist, so but I know some. And I know some really smart ones. And so from a basic level, if someone is conservative, they are, they're very concerned about keeping things orderly. Like this is a conservative personality. This is the person who, um, everything has its place and it's tidy. They keep their world tidy. Um, And very much the world can be defined for them by its borders. Like these are probably people who don't necessarily like their food touching. These are people who may not necessarily want to try a lot of new things and go a lot of places but these are also people who are very good at like managing things. They keep things under control because they, they they've learned how to be disciplined and organized and these are good traits. Like and and very few people are entirely conservative and entirely liberal. We generally are we're, we're sort of a mix of each, you know, it's, it's a, it's a sliding scale. You know, you get too far on either one of them. You're probably dealing with some level of psychosis, right? Um, so that's conservative, but the, the the problem with that particular group is they're not necessarily good at innovation. Like they're good at creating structure and order from things, and but not necessarily that great, at, or, in, or or that even that interested in coming up with new ideas. Now, you, you take the flip side of that. You take someone who's got more of a liberal personality. The liberal personality is is far less concerned with borders. In fact, they're, they're far more interested in openness. You know, in a perfect world for, the, for that is, um, you know, the world has fewer fences. And that can have its advantages sometimes, but it's also there can be disadvantages to that. Um, someone's liberal typically is um, more creative in nature, uh, and so they typically tend to be more innovators. But they're not always that great at management in order and structure. You know, you can, you can see them in their office or their home May not necessarily be the tidiest thing in the world. You know, there may be, may not be, who knows. Um, I've got a healthy dose of both characteristics. So, you know, so I kind of feel like I'm, I can relate in a lot of ways to different ones. The thing is, you put either one of those groups in total control of something, especially if we're talking about a culture if they're left alone to their own devices, they usually do a pretty terrible job. You know, because the liberals are always coming up with something new, everything's very open, which seems great, except there's no structure, there's, no, there's, there's not that much order to it, and things sort of fall apart into chaos. The flip side is, you get some conservatives um, that are running things, and it's entirely conservative, and it's ordered, it's structured. But nothing new comes out of it. And eventually they wear out that system and there's nothing to replace it with. And then it falls apart into chaos. It doesn't matter which road you take, the destination is going to be the same for both of them. What statistically has worked best across history is when you have a combination of those two groups working in cooperation with each other. You have people who are good at innovation and their a strong ability for openness and you have some others who are good at management and structure and, and you get the best of both worlds working together. Shit gets done. It works. The problem is, or the challenge with that is, is you have to get those groups of people who might not necessarily see eye to eye to recognize that it takes the combined efforts of both to make things happen. The worst case scenario is when they turn against each other And it becomes more than just competitive, it becomes territorial, it becomes tribal. And that's kind of where we are right now, because when you've got a cooperative community and you have that inciting incident that happens and knocks normal off its feet, a well-functioning adult who's, you know, Cognitively got their shit together You know they're going to be able to make a decision And try to figure out what's going to be best for the world And at that particular point there's typically You know there's not necessarily a villain There's only a situation When you've got A tribal scenario When you've got a group who are working cooperatively You kind of get the same thing It's, it's less about who's to blame At least in the short run And more to what's the situation That we need to get ourselves out of Or what's the scenario, a situation that we need to get ourselves into? But, because, I mean, the ultimate thing is they're trying to return back to normal. But when you have some uh, society that's gone sort of tribal, the inciting incident, and if you have piss poor leadership, what you then get is finger pointing and people looking for someone to blame rather than looking for solutions. And that's where we are right now. You've got people pointing fingers at other people and they do it, especially across social media, where there really isn't any accountability. They do it haphazardly and without thought of consequence. And then things go downhill. Because remember, we talked about um' they, when you introduce conflict into it conflict is conflict conflict establishes the value of the thing you want you know what are you willing to go through to get the thing that you want the the deal is, in this particular scenario, the conflict that the society should be going through is to achieve the standard of society that this collective society wants or needs. The kind of conflict that does not help is the conflict that says, this side's to blame, this side's to blame. Again, you because at that point, you're looking for a villain rather than a solution. And it's easy to break stuff. It's much, much harder to repair them. And since we're on the subject of villain, what is a villain anyway? Do you know, like can you could you define what a villain is? Like think about it for just a second. Like what what characteristics make a villain? You maybe think of some, you know, of um, all kinds of characters from stories. Just look at Game of Thrones. If you want a healthy dose of villains, continually worse than one worse than the next. Let's just use Joffrey. Well, any of them. But so the thing is, a villain can can versus a hero. The things that they do may not necessarily differ that much, right? Think of the stories that you've done, like, or you've done, you've watched or read The heroes of your story versus the villains of your story If it's some sort of action and adventure thing Heroes fight, villains fight Fight each other, they fight You know, their cohorts They do terrible things to people Cause great damage to property all kinds of stuff. And so what you find out though that you dig from a character and of like the things that they do, there's really not that much difference between the two. But there is one actual element that will separate a hero from a villain. And it's how a hero can become a villain or a villain can become a hero. Um You can think of the Hound in Game of Thrones as an example. He's kind of an anti-hero. The one defining characteristic that makes a villain is the moment that they start thinking that they're better than everyone else. That's the moment they become the villain. If they think they're better than everyone else, their motivation for whatever goals that they have are no longer altruistic. They're no longer for their, you know, if they're a leader, you know, it's no longer for their people. It's for their own self-interest. And so the sacrifices that others may make on their behalf or that the damage they caused attaining that is entirely for their own self-seeking nature. The hero, on the other hand, may deal with some of that and the temptations of that. But at the end of the day, they're not doing it for themselves. They're doing it to help others. And that's the difference. But here's where things start getting a little bit complicated. When you start distorting the narrative, you start distorting who the hero is. Because if you went back to Nazi Germany I guarantee you would ask the average person on the street Who they thought the hero was Let me really rephrase that The average German soldier Probably say Hitler Or themselves Probably say the average person With a swastika on their arm That would be the hero Because that was the narrative That they had been taught one of the first things that you do in warfare is you dehumanize the enemy. you make them less than human. Um, and you do that for very strategic reasons. so you take your average you know your average soldiers, nobody's special particularly especially if you're you know in a case like World War II and you know all these people were Vietnam these, these guys are just drafted you know they didn't necessarily go voluntarily. One day they're just a you know guy with a young family and you know he's going to a job and the next day you throw a gun in his hand and stick him in a foreign country and you're, you're telling him to kill people right And for that guy, he doesn't necessarily have anything against these other people. Like, they're not necessarily, he doesn't have a beef against them. And so the responsibility to get him where he'll do the job that they want him to do is they will try to dehumanize those people. They, They don't want you to think about them as people. You don't want to think about, you know, the guy on the other side of the battlefield has more in common with you than the politician that sent both, you know, the politicians that sent both of you out to that field. You don't want to do that because then they don't do the job that you want them to do and that's what i'm seeing right now except it's not happening within the context of different um, nation states It's, it's happening you know internally and you never know there's probably some other nation states that are helping you know push that along and so the temptation is right now is for, and I see it every single day. I've been watching it tonight and I watched it all day. And like I said, there's a lot of people just need to take a nap. Is they're constantly pointing fingers and they're trying to establish an enemy to, they need, they need a villain. And the thing is, you know, you, you take somebody, let's just, let's just go ahead and get myself out on some thin eyes here. You take a scenario of like Black Lives Matter or the, the initial whatever you think about it right now to sort of put that on the back plate if you're for it or against it, whatever, if you whatever. The original complaint was that it was a protest against police brutality. This, it goes back to, you know, kneeling during the national anthem. NFL games, right? We, we we go all the way back to this point. It's it's a protest of African Americans, Black Americans, against police brutality. And then we can get into the story of you know what's it like what's it like to be Black in the United States. Now on the other side of that, we'll just call them um, Team Trump. On most of these guys that I've known, you know. Honestly, most of them are white, they work in class, though not all of them, um, you know, a lot, of them, a lot of them have money. It's not necessarily college educated. But what you start getting into is you, if you listen to each side talk, each side would talk about the ways that their world has been torn apart say over the past 20, we'll just say over the past 20 years, you know, how things have not gotten better. And one of the things that you really should probably keep in mind is depending on who you ask, like they both, they both might be right to a degree. Like I grew up in rural Arkansas where, you know, the local school district is the biggest employer for that county. Where if you want to have a farm, it's next to impossible to make a living unless you've got two thousand acres that's paid for. Otherwise, you're going to be driving to some city, you know, just to try to make a living. You know, there's some ways, there's obviously there's ways around, but as a general rule, it's gotten a lot harder to be working class than in the United States. You know, and this is because this is sort of the way the economy works. You know, they want everybody wants stuff cheaper, and companies want to have higher pri- profit margins. So, like, we can just talk about automotive. Yeah, they still build cars in the United States. They still build stuff, but they, they build a lot more stuff outside of the United States. You know, all the big car manufacturers used to be up in Detroit and, you know, in the north. but And then they unionized, you know, because they're trying to make more money. And the car manufacturers are like, hey, you know, if we move the car manufacturing to the south where they don't have unions, we don't have to pay them as much. Let's do that. And so they do. Suddenly you have people out of jobs in one location. Suddenly you have people with jobs in another location. Well, that rolls around for a little while and then they're like, you know, all these car parts were getting made you know, we could put that in the South where they don't have unions, but it would actually be cheaper if we just put that plant in Mexico where we can pay them even less. And so they do that. More jobs leave. And then, not only that, then we start looking, it's like, you know what, it would actually be even cheaper to move our production over to... China, where we can get it done even cheaper, and we kind of have less accountability. So we do that. And so what you've seen is a migration of, you know, manufacturing, move through a country into another country that's still a bordering country, and then it all moves, you know, to the other side of the globe. Well, what did you just do? You raise the level of unemployment all the way across the board. And not to mention, if you start dealing with Mexico, suddenly you have a country that was already kind of teetering and dealing with a lot of internal corruption and low, low, low wages. And suddenly it got worse. So now what do they want to do? You know, it may not be great in the U.S. at that point, but it's better than where they are. So now you create something that's a migration toward the U.S. Huh. wonder what that's going to cause. And it just keeps going and going and going. And it becomes way easier to, instead of thinking about the thing holistically and looking at its structure and systems and how they work and how they affect individuals when you tell the story of well it's it's not our fault but you should point your fingers at the brown people It's their fault or the white guys it's their fault and you create that you're establishing a narrative that's it's fundamentally untrue but it serves the purpose that you wanted which is to deflect blame from the people who are actually responsible. Because if you remember, we go back to what I was saying about the um, football game. Everything's fine as long as everybody's playing by the same rules. Right? Because this is sort of how we, we work in the world. We We have we have this sort of established belief on how things should be. Like we think this is, and again, depending on if we come from more of a conservative perspective, more of a liberal perspective, we have a perspective on, like this is roughly how the world should operate. And if I do X, Y, and Z, you know, this the American dream, if I get up, I work hard, I study in school, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna achieve the thing that I want. I'm gonna get that thing. And then if you find out it's not actually working like so you create this frame of reference and, and as long as that frame of reference is matching if this is your navigational chart that you're using and it's getting where you're going great but sometimes it doesn't work and one of the other problems is that sometimes it works for some people but it doesn't for other people and then, on top of that, sometimes it might work if you would just give it a little more of a chance, but you don't know if it's going to work. But the problem with that is where we are now is if you create this navigational thing, a navigational chart, this frame of reference, and you're you're functioning off of it, it may work, it may not work because one of the things we all have to consider is that we may actually be wrong. We may actually have to consider that the navigational chart has been handed to us by someone else who wasn't entirely being honest. And sometimes that same group of people, they would rather hand us another villain to look at then again, focus it toward them. But the problem, again, is you don't want to believe that. There's this thing called the third person effect communication. communication. And it basically means this, that, you know, the average person could get duped into like a conspiracy theory or some kind of bullshit explanation. But the problem is nobody, very few of us really think that we're average. Like we may say we're average, but deep down, we think, I'm smart enough not to fall for that crap. But you do. And so this is where we get into the two different terms. One's called confirmation bias, and the other one is called cognitive dissonance. And this is what we're seeing a lot of right now. I'll hit cognitive dissonance first, because this is one you'll see a lot. And this is the one. That's probably the easiest rec- easiest one to recognize if you will just sit through it and and be honest with yourself and that's a hell of a thing to do like if you can be honest with yourself you know good for you because that's hard that's hard man cognitive dissonance is this when you're just toodling along in life and you've got your frame of reference and you think this is how the world works this is you know these are the good guys these are the bad guys. These are this is this is the stuff where life matters. And then somebody comes along and says, "Um I hate to tell you this, but that's actually not right. Actually, this is the correct answer." Your immediate response, especially if it's contradictory, it's not complimentary to your frame of reference. If it's actually, it just shows that you're completely wrong. And and I'm being honest here, like I'm saying, and this is all hypothetical, you're presented with information that's actually the right answer. And, and you've been carrying around the wrong answer for 20 years. You will not just immediately go, oh my God, thank you for enlightening me and showing me all this probably your first response is going to be anger and it's going to be anger toward the person who delivered that information to you and you're going to get angry at the idea that was presented and this could be the right answer it could also be the wrong answer like the thing is if you've got a strongly held belief this is what we would call a personal truth it's not necessarily a factual truth it is a personal truth it is true to you and it is just as true as true can be to you and someone comes along and says nope that's not exactly right case in point when i was in college when a, a, a lowly undergrad myself i was taking a philosophy class and we were studying the old testament or in the bible but we weren't studying it from a, a religious standpoint. We we're studying it from a philosophical standpoint and a, a linguistic standpoint. Because one of the things um, that they wanted to illustrate uh, was a few things that didn't sit so well with my um, some of my classmates, and those two things were. Uh, the Bible has um, is wrong in places and I mean that because it has contradictions like it will say say one thing in one part and it will say the completely opposite thing in another part and from a a perspective of logic one of those things must be untrue by default like, if you say, you know, 2 plus 2 is 4 and 2 plus 2 is 5, one of those is going to be wrong. Even though if you if you grew up believing 2 plus 2 was 5 and your grandmother taught you that 2 plus 2 was 5, right, one of those is not going to be right. And so kind of what we did is we went through and we found examples of that. And part of it is where they were talking about is... Um, It's because some of the stories are combined stories. Um, tradition holds that you know Moses, the figure Moses, wrote um, some of the first you know the first few books of the Bible. And from a linguistic perspective, what they were doing is they were looking at it and they were breaking it down by writing style. I think we were talking about Genesis. I can't remember if it just was Genesis. I think it was just Genesis. But they established that there was actually probably three separate authors to the book of Genesis, which and they, and they do that by going, all right, if you look here, the way they talk about this is, is one way this it's the structure, the, and it's just the way they tell the story changes the way people, you know, a storyteller tells stories a certain way. They typically don't change up their style, especially if they're telling the same story. Like, I'm not going to, if I'm telling you a story from beginning to end, I'm pretty much going to stick to the same pattern all the way through it. You know, I've got my own thing going. Somebody else coming and telling the same story, but from a different, you know, someone else, they're going to tell a little bit differently. They're going to use different words. They're going to use different ways to um, phrase things. And again, they they, they came to this sort of conclusion. And if I remember right, there's actually, if you look a little closer, there's actually two different creation stories in Genesis. Now you've got some of you scratching your heads and, you know, some of you may have already tuned me out because that's exactly what happened in that class is I had some people that came from a, you know, classmates that were, came from a, a much more fundamental uh, religious background than I did where they, it was drilled into them that, you know, the Bible was inerrant. There were no mistakes. There was, you know, it was, it was everything about it was true. And two, things like it was, you know, written by God and, you know, specifically Moses wrote the first few books. You know, but there's the other part where Moses actually would have had to have written about his own death, which that seems kind of hard to do. I'm not here to defend one way or the other on that. But what I am going to say is at some point during that, I watched about two or three of my classmates slam their Bible shut and get up and walk out the door. Furious just left class, walked out in the middle of class. They were just, and probably, you know, dropped the class after that. I don't really remember that. I just, I just remember it's like, holy crap. These people are hot. And I didn't, you know, I didn't really realize it didn't occur to me to get mad about it. But what it was, was it was violating their entire worldview. It was creating an inciting incident. It was, it was, it wasn't, well, not so much an inciting incident, but it was creating cognitive dissonance. They, they physically got angry. Like it's the same kind of response that you would make—you want to fight somebody or like try to protect yourself. This is why you see so many people start fighting on social media. Is as far as their brains are concerned, their psychology is concerned, they're actually trying. They're like they're they're trying to preserve their world. They're trying to preserve their worldview. They're trying to preserve their truth. You know, and I can respect that. I can respect the idea that someone is trying to protect you know, thing of value to them because it goes back to, you know, how much is this thing worth to you? And sometimes it's worth a damn, you know, pretty penny. So there we are. Um, but then we also have something that's called confirmation bias. And it's basically the opposite of that. And this is what you, again, something you see all the time. This is where you, you know good and well that somebody's not a scientist because scientists are fighting day in and day out to try to avoid confirmation bias and confirmation bias is you don't hold critical things that confirm your pre-existing beliefs. So let's just say, I believe a thing. I read a news story that, or hear someone talk and talk about the thing in a way that's complementary to my own worldview or my own belief system. I'm not going to think very critically about that. I'm going to go, yep, See, I knew that. Yep, yep. He's he's singing my song, right? He's right, and you're just you you work from this assumption: this person is right, or this article is right. This is the truth. Truth. It is factual because it confirms my pre-existing belief. That's confirmation bias because you may have a belief that's got some bad information mixed. In. It may not be completely wrong, but you may be dealing with some bad, bad stuff. May have some tainted information in there and then you get handed something and you don't look at it critically because of that. And the flip side of that is you will discount other stuff. And it goes back to the cognitive dissonance. You'll discount other stuff because it contradicts your pre held beliefs. So how do you get around this? I mean, because this is what we end up with. This is this is social media summed up right now. You have a lot of people out there that are very passionate about their beliefs. They're very ignorant about where information comes from and how you vet information. A lot of them think, and, and you know, again, the part of the problem with communication journalism is one of those things. Everybody thinks they can do it. And it's actually pretty hard because sometimes because you're constantly fighting your own bias if you're doing it right. I do it. I do it every day. And I catch myself all the time going, you know, confirmation bias especially. Yep, that's true. I knew it. And you're just like, I knew it. But the problem is you go down that road too far and you end up believing some crazy shit. Because the thing is, it just builds on it. One after the other, after the other, after the other. And the next thing you know, you've got somebody kicking the door open at a pizza place looking for (sighs) children being held because some woman in QAnon, you know, was talking about it on 4chan. Right? And worst case scenario, you get people who think they're protecting their nation and they're killing their countrymen. Who also think they're protecting their nation don't fuck around with this stuff people let I me mean, just be real honest with that probably one of the smartest things that you can do right now is just delete Twitter, delete Facebook, just get off of it just get off of it um, the second thing, actually and maybe that's not the best thing the, the the best thing you need to do is tell yourself there's a good chance that you're wrong about something and your job is to find out what it is. Like that's your job today is to figure out, figure out one thing that you think is true that actually isn't. And I'm going to be honest, it's going to be really hard for you to do that. And it's going to be really hard for you to look at somebody that you may hold in contempt right now that turns out they're actually a pretty good guy or girl. I have people like that and it's one of those kind of weird things. Like I know people in person would bend over backwards for that person to do anything for it, for them. And and vice versa. I know they do it for me, but I watch the stuff that they post on social media and I'm like, I don't even recognize the two people And we can make arguments that one is one is the real person and one is not the real person and I'm I'm just trying to say you know, people say things, you know, more freely if they're not held accountable for them. And we don't put that, you know, and if you're surrounded, and you, this the, again, the, the worst thing about social media is it gives you exactly what you want. It becomes your own personal Rasputin. And that's a bad, bad road to go. Yeah, so tonight kind of got a heavy. But let's go back to the story. We establish normal. Normal gets knocked off its feet. Individually and collectively, we have a decision to make. And it's not necessarily about finding a villain at that moment. It's to reach a higher ideal. At least as a country. Because again, the question that story always comes back to is this How should I live my life? As a nation, we've already kind of established that. More than once. Let's look at the preamble of the Constitution. We the people. Not we the Republicans, me the Democrat. Remember, these guys didn't necessarily like each other back then either. But they figured out a way to work together. We the people of the United States, in order to make or to form a more perfect union establish justice ensure domestic tr- tranquility provide for the common defense promote the general welfare and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our prosperity prosperity do ordain and establish this constitution for the united states of america read that that is western liberal democracy and don't confuse the political party that holds conservative values and that holds liberal values as a nation e pluribus um, of the many one alright this has been a heavy one and I'm going to pour a glass of rum and think about all you and how much I appreciate you all. I really really do so whether you're my student and I've never actually you know sat in a classroom with you if you're a former student and we haven't talked in a while I miss you and you know if you're a friend I'm glad to know you if you're a complete stranger maybe we can have a beer someday because I think that would be way better way to live our lives all right well, this is your captain speaking And I'm going to take us out with Four non-blondes What's up kind of weird. I just stopped. Hang on, let me do this again. I'll just wait. I'll just wait. So anybody know any good jokes? Anybody? Anybody? Anybody know any good jokes? Maybe, maybe, maybe not. So um, here's one. It was, oh, here's the joke that I heard when I, yeah. the hurricanes are going through last week. It was a um, guy walks into a bar on Berber Street. And he says, I'll have a uh, two Coronas. I'm sorry, I'll have uh, two Hurricanes and a Corona. Bartender said, great, that'll be 2020. Get it? You get it? It's pretty funny, huh? All right, one more while it's buffering. These two nuns walk into a bar. You think the second one would have ducked? That's my favorite joke ever. All right, let's do this again.
2: SHUT sure. The Nation